Please join with me in prayer. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us to this time of year as we approach Thanksgiving and begin to enter the Advent season and wrap up this mission season of Pentecost. Rejoicing of what you've done in and through our lives, we just pray, Lord, that we would look at this issue of all our lives, the way we use our time, the way we exercise our ministry to which you've called us, the way we give of our resources, Lord, that you would spur our hearts to walk with you, to know you, to follow you with wholehearted obedience, all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Anyone with or has had small children at some time can attest to the following scene. The older child gets a toy, a little truck that he loves to play with. In fact, he loves it so much he wears off the paint. He loves this truck. And one day it's sitting on the coffee table and nobody in the world is playing with it. It's just sitting there. Worn out truck, beloved truck that it is. And along comes little sister who toddles up to the table to play with the worn out truck, only to have it snatched away from this newly formed gorilla in the family, shouting, It's my truck! The parents look at the gorilla and say, Oh, Johnny, you know, let her play with it. And what does the little gorilla say? Of course, Mom and Dad. She can play with it. No, are you kidding me? What does he say? Mine. It's mine. You have to break, the, break his arm to get it out of his hands, right? As a matter of fact, he's not going to give it up, and your compulsion makes it worse. That's an illustration of what it means to give grudgingly. And yet the remarkable thing is that's the standard approach for fundraising, isn't it? <laughs> Causing people to feel forced to give and compulsion breeds reluctance. When you're compelled to give something, you're all the more reluctant to give it up. And yet that's not the way of our Lord. That's not the way we're called to give. We give in response to to the love that's been given to us in Christ. And so last week we saw in Nehemiah, God's people, this wonderful call and back to renewal. Chapter 8, the word is read. Chapter 9, the people repent and believe. And last week we saw the particular discipleship patterns which they're called to stop compromising and to walk in. And so you may remember last week we spoke that God's people were called to be faithful in their family relationships, faithful in their worship, and faithful in their honoring the Sabbath. Quick review, their relationships. It wasn't a racial thing. It was a worldview thing. It was, look, this is either true or it's not. Let's follow it. And so, so therefore, using Paul's illustration of the yoke, if in marriage you're yoked to your spouse, you don't want to be pulling in two different directions or the field that the ox is treading will be awful, correct? And so therefore, Nehemiah called them to be faithful and not to give their sons away to people who would pull in different directions or their daughters in different directions. 
also in the way they worship. They were called to worship the Lord, and they weren't honoring the Sabbath day whatsoever. And so we also reflected on that in our own lives. How do we tend to compromise and mix the sacred with the secular? And last, we saw that they weren't giving of their first fruits. Oh, they were giving all right, but they were giving of their leftovers. It was an afterthought to the point where the Levites couldn't even exercise their ministry full-time. It was part-time. And so in today's reading, we arrive in chapter 13, and aren't you glad that we live in the New Testament times? Because Nehemiah's call back to reforms were rather violent. He threatened them with beating, pulling out their hair. Um, it was the ancient world. We can't fathom what it was like back then. But we might wish that the book of Nehemiah ended at verse 3, right? So much had happened that was so encouraging. God's people had seen God's revival and renewal come in and through them. Which one of us would not wish that for our, in our day? Lord, may the church of our day know the sort of blessing, the sort of revival, revival and renewal that we see in Nehemiah, chapter 10 and chapter 11. But not long after this, so much had been put right in the life of the church and the nation, and it all revolved around obedience to the word of God that once again was shaping their community, their national life, and was bringing them a blessing as a result. But chapter 13 shows us the need for ongoing renewal, ongoing revival. Hard-won spiritual victories can be rapidly lost if you're focusing on religion rather than the relationship with the living God and His steadfast love. And so this chapter describes a post-revival situation in a desperate need of a fresh touch from the Lord. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. You can turn to the back of your bulletins as well. Nehemiah 13. It's been rightly said that the great truths of God's word need to be fought for a fresh in each generation. Nehemiah, at chapter 13, had been governor now for 12 years. And so he was called back to Susa, to King Artaxerxes. And in his absence, the cat was away, therefore the mice will what? Absolutely. Because they weren't doing, being obedient out of conviction that this is true. They were just doing it out of religion. This is just what we do. We don't know how long it was before he returned, but upon his return, he found that the promises made in chapter 10, were seriously being broken. And therefore, Nehemiah was angry at what he found. And so the phrase in verse 1, on that day, is somewhat indefinite. It's probably best to take verses 1 through 3, along with 44 to 47 of chapter 12, as a description of how things were when Nehemiah returned to Susa and spent some time with the Persian king. Things were going very well when he left. But while he was absent, standards declined. The people became disobedient to God's word again and had the leadership that Nehemiah left behind. Had it been up to the task, this wouldn't have happened. But obviously they weren't. 
perhaps, but they, the people had the leadership they deserved as the blessings of revival became a pale memory and the people were now complacent in their walk with the Lord. So reformation and revival always needs to be ongoing in our lives. We're saved by the grace of the Lord and we're sanctified by the grace of the Lord. And good leaders will always be calling us back to that. And so spiritual decline is described here. So what were they doing? The same things they were doing in chapter 10. Worship, verse 4 and 5. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, wine, oil, which was given by the commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. So the priest, Eliashib, practiced nepotism to Tobiah, who wasn't even a friend of Israel at all. And so they put out all the holy things that were used for worship and put them away. And he got to move all his household furniture into the place where those were stored. This is no friend. In chapter 6 of Nehemiah, you will know that Tobiah and his friend Sanballat, who still was mentioned at the end of chapter 13, all right, they were organizing an assassination plot against Nehemiah. They tried to coax him out to the plains of Nob. I don't know about you, but I'd never go to the plains of Nob. <laughs> Sounds creepy. You know, I got worried. And so, so the bottom line is Nehemiah sent a message back to them saying, uh, I can't make it on my calendar, boys. Sorry, I'm too busy. So wisely, wisely, he then ordered the people of Israel as they were rebuilding the wall to take turns rebuilding the wall and the other people stood guard with a sword in their hand and a trowel in the other. No, they, their worship was not right unto the Lord. They were letting other worldviews come into their worship. Also in verse 15, notice, right back to last week, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warmed them on the day when they sold food. Once again, they're mixing the day set aside to rest, to worship, to bless one another with business. They were putting in the sacred with the secular and crowding out the sacred. Next, is they were also, as we heard read, they were going back to being pluralistic in relationships. They, verse 23 and 24. In those days, I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. And they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. Question for us, do our children know the language of the word of God? Can they speak the language of Judah? Do they know basic Christian doctrine through the way we lead them as well? That's what it's about. It's not the fact they're a different race. They're a different faith. And it's true or it's not. 
And so therefore, there was a problem going on. We don't know how long Nehemiah was gone in Susa, but obviously he was gone long enough that children were being born. (laughs) And it changed. And last, they went back to the same old compromise. They were compromising their finances. Look at verse 10 with me. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his own field. They they fled to the suburbs because that's where they could find work because they weren't being paid anymore. The income wasn't coming in because people weren't honoring the Sabbath. The income wasn't coming in. People weren't giving of their first fruits. They were giving the leftovers and the leftovers wasn't enough to carry out the ministry. And so therefore, friends, as we consider 2023 and all the things the Lord's doing among us, we got to look at these compromises and seeing are we compromising in a similar manner. The full counsel of God's word informs us that our financial giving to the Lord really is a temperature gauge of what's going on in our life, in our times of personal worship, in the ministry that we're engaged in. It's a spiritual thermometer. It's a diagnosis of how we love the Lord in response to his steadfast love. Did you pick up on that in in verse 22? Nehemiah says in verse 22, Oh my God, spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. That's the Hebrew word hased. It's a beautiful word. That this is God's impulse towards you. Always. And you might say, Lord, I blew it this week. I love you. It's about grace, dear friends. And so that's the spiritual thermometer. It's a diagnosis for us. You know, it was interesting. Um, I, I, I miss my mom. I miss my weekly phone calls with her. I miss uh, the wonderful storyteller. She was the best storyteller you ever heard. Uh, Leslie Croyle is one of our 8 o'clock members. Isn't it interesting that Leslie's brother-in-law and Tom's brother live in the same town that my mom lives in. Small world. And so Leslie, as, as a blessing to me, just checked in on my mom when she visited. And she came back and said, man, that woman can talk. I said, I know. <laughs> are her stories great? She goes, yeah, they are. <laughs> Four years ago, when she was 89, 90, she went to the doctor. And the doctor said, Ms. Sherman, you have diabetes. My mom said, I do not. (laughs) She goes, "Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Yes, you do. She said, I'm 90. What do you care? I'm going to eat what I want, and I'm going to have my bowl of ice cream because I've lived my life. And he said, okay. When you come back, we're just going to monitor your diabetes, okay? She says, that's fine. You know, you can monitor all you want. She comes back to him. Her diabetes didn't change. As a matter of fact, this past year, as she's in her walker, mentally sharp up until the last couple months, brothers and sisters, her diabetes got better. (laughs) She said, as a matter of fact, I recommend a bowl of ice cream every day for dessert. That's a funny story. And that's a little piece of Ann Sherman. But friends, let's not treat our finances and our stewardship in that way. (laughs) How does our thermometers read? It's telling us a story. 
God's people, while with Nehemiah, were presently outwardly obedient to the Lord, but while he was gone, it obviously it wasn't a conviction for them. Is his steadfast love for you a conviction? Let's not go into just religious activity. It's true. Jesus, our Lord, has risen. He truly died. He's truly risen. God is not Lord of our lives if he's just a part of improving our lives. He's Lord of our lives only if he occupies the central position of our lives. And once he occupies the central position, then it's clear that all of our lives belong to him. Now, as you well know, we're in the midst of a transition to a building of our own over the next month. And this past week, the vestry voted to finalize the decision to purchase the Ahern Banquet Center. This is a phenomenal opportunity for us that the Lord has brought to us. And after consulting with people both within the Anglican world and outside the Anglican world, we believe that this is the Lord's will, but it's not without a crisis of belief. And it's not going to happen without the Lord's help and his favor and faithfulness of God's grace through his people. Our current budget is $430,000. In 2023, it's going to be 510000 This past week, we were able to put that once a year uh, principal payment into our monthly mortgage. And that's how we're going to pay it. That said... That's our new budget. We're trusting the Lord to do that through us. And we've had several families come forward and say, I'm committing $25,000 over the next five years to help meet this as a cost. Thank you. So I spoke with David Rosebury, who was the former rector of Christ Church, uh, Plano, Texas. Uh, one of, one of, he's been a friend to me during this journey as I've spoken with him. I go, David, how, how, do, how, do, how did you do it? In Plano, Texas. Plano, Christ Church Plano is the largest church in the ACNA. Um, they're like eight to 10,000 people on a Sunday. You know, everything's bigger in Texas. Why is that? <laughs> Great guy. And he just said, well, look, just, just lay it out for God's people of Christ Church West Shore. The average salary in Avon Lake is $80,000, 2020 census. How many giving units do we have? 80, 80 giving units. So that means if every giving unit tithed, we would have a budget of $640,000. Our treasurer informs me that there are some families who haven't increased their giving. I del in delight, there was one giving unit on fixed income that increased their budget significantly this year. Whoever you are, thank you. The Lord is asking of us our first fruits in everything, not our leftovers. And our lives demonstrate what's going on in all of our lives as we give. And so therefore, dear brothers and sisters, let us target the tithe as we make our pledges for 2023. And as I said last week, and under the New Testament, for some, that's not possible. Can't do it this year. We sat down as couples and families this week. We prayed about it, I hope. We trusted one another. This is your first hearing of this. You don't have to make a pledge today, but I encourage you to do so. And if you're a guest, we just welcome you. We, you, don't, you don't have to walk forward with a pledge card. But the reality is for each and every one of us, if every saving, single giving unit 
gives $1,000 more. That's $25 a week, $50 twice a month, $100 more per month. If nothing else increases and we each and every one giving unit does that, there's $80,000 right there. My brothers and sisters, let us trust the Lord to provide. This has been a, a thing for me and Kimmy every year for the past few years since we've been empty nesters. Isn't it great when the kids just get married and start earning their own money? We've been able to increase our giving 1% a year. We're getting to the tithe. We're not there yet, but we're going to get there. But I also know there's some, perhaps, who are giving and they're not breaking a sweat. Brothers and sisters, it's sacrificial giving. It's going to cost us. And so, therefore, I encourage us to make that pledge unto him in that manner. David Livingston, that great missionary to Africa, said, I place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. If anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept. Only as by giving or keeping it shall I most promote the glory to him of whom I owe all my hopes in time and eternity. Let that be our attitude as we go forward this day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for what you're doing in our lives. And as we come before you here in a few moments, giving our pledges in the in-gathering for 2023, I pray you would do that good work in us. Only out of recognizing your steadfast love for us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that you would do an amazing work in every aspect of our lives, in our times of worship with you, in our ministries bearing fruit to our neighbors, as well as in our finances. And so Lord, as we do that, we pray that it be a testimony of your great grace in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.